there was a thing called a profane burial where if you had committed suicide, that was a self-murder and you weren't allowed to be buried in the churchyard. You mm. had to be buried either on wasteland or on a crossroads. And they used to put a stake through the heart of the person, you know, the final thing before they buried the body. They would hammer a stake through the hearts. And it wow. said that the bush growing through there was the stake that had gone through lush bush. And we found a tomb that had recently been broken open and there was these sort of semi-mummified body in there and it had quite clearly had a stake driven through its heart and been set on fire. Wow. And I say it was just waiting there. Mm. Um, and I say there, there was a lot. There, there, there's sort of a possibility there may well have been people who were practicing dark magic doing yeah. it as uh, over and above the sort of thrill-seeking vampire hunters if mm -hmm. you like hello and welcome to the spirit box podcast where we explore folklore magic the world of the spirits and everything in between today we're joined by charles christian he is an english barrister and a writer's correspondent turned writer podcaster and award-winning tech journalist He's also a sometime werewolf hunter. He now writes, talks, and makes videos mainly about folklore, urban myths, history, and the weird. He was born a chime child with a coal. So according to legend, he can't drown at sea, but can see and talk to ghosts and the fairy folk without coming to any harm. He is the author of A Travel Guide to Yorkshire's Weird Wolds, The Mysterious Wold Newton Triangle, and Saints and Sinners in Dark Age England. His latest book is Shuckland, Weird Tales, Ghosts, Folklore and Legends from East Anglia's Waveney Valley. And he's currently writing an almanac of real witches and sorcerers, along with other practitioners of magic black and white from the earliest times true to the modern era, which I know will be of great interest to the listenership of this show. Now, if you're fascinated by the weird, the unexplained and bizarre, then you're going to enjoy this road trip around the strange areas of the Wold Newton Triangles we've mentioned, and some of the rather strange events that have occurred, which are really unmatched elsewhere in Britain. We talk about werewolves, as I've mentioned, and his grisly discovery while investigating the Highgate Vampire. In the Plus Show, we get into further detail around Charles' upcoming book on witchcraft. We get into the legends of the Woodwoes, England's analogue for the Bigfoot. And we wrap up with a really interesting discussion on the nature of folklore. It's a great show and I really enjoyed this conversation. And I think you will too. Now, if you want to hear the plus show, you know the drill. Clicky linky below and come and join the Patreon. Not only will you hear this wonderful conversation in its entirety, you will also get the entire back catalogue of Spirit Box plus shows. Now, one interesting thing that occurred while I was recording the show, why well, I say interesting, actually was a massive pain in the arse. Zoom have changed the T's and C's and capped their free use limit at 40 minutes. So, yeah, that sure is in the works a little bit. But we kept on, we persevered, and you got a great show out of it. So I hope you're going to enjoy that. If you want to find out more about uh, Charles Christian's work, then check the show notes for links to his work. Right, that's it from me. Let's get on with the show. Hello, 
Charles Christian, you're very welcome to the Spirit Box. Thank you, Dara. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, great to have you. And you know, can I just say it's 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 so nice to have um, an interview with, with somebody who's also based in the UK. Makes things just just logistically so much easier. <laughs> so that's no shade on on the um, guests from far flung areas in the world, but uh, it makes a pleasant change. Um, you're you're very welcome um, to to get the to get the ball rolling and kind of uh, help orientate our uh, our listeners. Could you give us a, kind of a, a brief overview of, of you and uh, and your area of interest and your areas of study? Hmm. Right. Well. Um... I'm one of those people who had a sort of life in two parts because I was interested in the occult, ghosts, spooky things when I was a kid. And then along came the dreaded day job and it all rather got pushed to the side. <laughs> and then eventually the day job was in turn pushed to the side and I was able to start pursuing it and taking a bigger interest in it and um, went on from there and it's one of those things when when I was at university it's the sort of subject I'd have loved to have followed up but long long time ago and there was no way you know it's just long before all the um, interest and television paranormal shows and things so there was absolutely no way you could make a living or anything so I sort of went off into a different tangent and eventually became a legal and technology journalist um, I'm a barrister by training and I did that for a very long time and dabbled a little bit in writing about the paranormal and things of that nature and then got an opportunity to work with a regular podcast and did that and then did my own and then started researching it more and then got back to writing. I've always been a writer, obviously, as a journalist. And so I started writing and researching about folklore and uh, it's it's gone on from there. And now I'm a full-time writer on folklore and the weird. Um, and I also do short video youtube videos about various topics as well um but that, that's 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 it basically i think in a in a in a nutshell well it, it does sound a, a familiar path in in terms of that uh that dual life um mm. as it were yeah occasionally in in um in previous roles i i've had you know uh, colleagues somehow find some of my other work and they're like I is this is this you <laughs> <laughs> you're not a bit weird are you yeah. yes <laughs> yeah. yes the, i've confirmed your suspicions um so uh, you, you you i mean you you, you uh ju you mentioned there kind of th looking at kind of the weird and, and and folkloric and um you know I, I might steal that as a tagline for season two. That's a, a, a lovely, a, a lovely combination. And to you, you mentioned um, kind of you know in your in your youth in your childhood there was always an interest in these areas. Mm, mm. Um, and and one thing I find uh, interviewing people like yourself and more broadly um, who who are engaged with the the paranormal or the spirit or the occult in in, in some shape or form. 
there seemed to be a, a formative experience or a set of experiences that kind of set that in motion. Um, and I was wondering if there is something like that for you. You know, where did this interest start? Was it something that triggered it? Yeah, um, it started, I mean, um, I grew up in a town called Scarborough, which is on the east coast of England, and it was an old house right down by the harbour. It was one of those houses that had been built up and added to over the years. So it had, when the words of H.P. Lovecraft, non-Euclidean geography, so you could find <laughs> strange walls that were you know, a, a six-inch wall with a three-foot wall width on top of it and passages that led nowhere and walled off bits. And I say the Prouse had been added to, sublet, changed around. Um, so it was definitely an unusual property. Spooky without definitely. Um, my... We had a friend, my parents had a friend who was a sort of psychic medium, spirit medium, and she said she could detect um, the sound of heavy footprints marching about, footsteps marching about in the attics. And that, she knew nothing about the property, but Many years previously, my great-great-grandmother, who ran the house, she, because it was on the seafront, she would put up um, fishermen, sailors, who were trapped in the harbour by a storm and couldn't get back to wherever they were going and were looking for somewhere to stay. And they would wear the big, heavy sea boots that fishermen of that era would wear, you know, sort of turn of the... 19th to 20th century um so you know i grew up with uh, i can hear dead men's footsteps footsteps above my bed um it was also an era when uh it was the 1950s so it wasn't television wasn't so omnipre omnipresent and you know winters nights we'd all sit around an open coal fire and parents and visitors and things would tell spooky stories and things. And I'd be sitting there listening to it all and taking it all in and um, basically loving it, you know, and it, it, intriguing me and just the little tales here and there. And then there was a strange thing with my bed that used to shake. And my parents said it was just the wind hitting the house, which I could accept because the property jutted out from the rest of the street. Um, but it was only years later, in fact, about the point where we were, my parents had by then both died and we were selling off the property. And it suddenly dawned on me once the rooms were all empty of furniture that it couldn't have been the wind because it wouldn't have shaken the bed the way it would have done. It was coming from the wrong direction. And so I always, you know, have wondered since whether there was some form of presence making itself known um, or, or what, whether it was just a pure coincidence. But I think it's fair to say I grew up in a, a spooky house surrounded by relatives and visitors who had bizarre 
spooky tales and um you know decidedly they probably all get arrested as unsuitable parents these days for the sort of things they used to tell me um but you know we we we, we, we sort of hurt you know i i grew up with that background i mean right. one of one of the most bizarre ones was i was about to go off on my bicycle exploring somewhere as you do when you're you know 10 12 years old or something and my grandmother was staying with us and she asked where i was going and i said it's a place called raincliffe woods and she went oh raincliffe woods and then proceeded to tell me this appalling story about when she was um young and a soldier apparently come back on leave from world war one and gone for a walk in raincliffe woods and was never seen again but they knew he had an apple with him because his mother had said you know take an apple with you right. and years later somebody spotted a apple tree growing in the woods and approached it and at the base was a skeleton with the apple tree growing through its rib cage and the suggestion was that mm. he'd fallen down um a cliff um injured himself or mm. whatever mm and had subsequently died and the apple he'd been carried had uh grown and um blossomed through his decaying body mm. uh, so i did i didn't go to wrinkly yeah. woods that day i thought no Give it a miss. <laughs> put the apple back sat yes. down <laughs> i'll just watch television i think yes. <laughs> it reminds me of a story um there's a place in in county mayo called kylemore abbey it's a beautiful old mm. abbey and um, it, it remained a functioning abbey throughout the penal laws in, mm -hmm. in Ireland, um, which was a remarkable achievement. Um, and there's a grave there. And uh, the grave has, uh, if I remember correctly, has a yew tree. It's probably a yew tree growing up through it. It just kind of shatters mm -hmm. the tomb and grows up through it. And allegedly, that's if I remember correctly, it's the grave of someone called Sean on Sagart. Um, if I remember correctly, so if mm -hmm. there's um, a Mayo folklorist, they can write in and chastise me for getting the details incorrect. But the story goes that, um, and it's just, it just you've you've triggered my memory, uh, that um, Sean and Sagart was a priest hunter, you know, and mm -hmm. there was a there was a, a bounty on on the, the head of Catholic priests during, during the penal laws, and um, when he died, he was buried in in the. In the Catholic grave, um, but the 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 folklore was the you know God showed his disdain for his vile <laughs> practice by desecrating his grave with um this yew tree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there's a story I've got it in my book, Shuckland, um, about where I am now, which is in East Anglia, and there's a nearby town called Harleston and at the end of Harleston sort of as you leave there's a bit of wasteland called Lush Bush and it said it got its name because there was a villain in about the 17th century called Lush who committed a murder and then committed suicide and so as was the practice in the UK right up until about 1815, 1820 or so, quite late, um, there was a thing called a profane 
burial where if you had committed suicide, that was a self-murder and mm. you weren't allowed to be buried in the churchyard. You mm. had to be buried either on wasteland or on a crossroads. And they used to put a stake through the heart of the person, you know, the final thing before they buried the body, they would hammer a stake through the hearts. And it wow. said that the bush growing through there was the stake that had gone through lush bush, through Mr. Lush. And I mean, that the, the, there is a well-documented um, historical event in, a, say, the early 19th century, where a woman who had committed suicide and, you know, with the benefit of modern understanding she was probably suffering from um postnatal depression mm -hmm. um but you know there, there's there's a long account in the local newspapers of her body being buried at the crossroads and there were you know 200 people watching it and a stake was driven through her heart and you know there she was buried and it's probably still there somewhere under that remarkable area. and and I say that's 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 quite recent and mm. I say it's one of those odd, odd things. There's, there's um, anybody who's a fan of um, Wuthering Heights, um, the Bronte novel, there's a few references in there that relate to the old suicide laws and profane burials, um, including about Kathy, mm -hmm. uh, which only makes sense if you know that people who committed suicide or died in... Um, rather unusual circumstances like that weren't to be given a proper church burial. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an intriguing little thing that uh, it's, it's, it's all over the country and you think, that's, that's not yeah. really that long ago. It's, mm. Mm. Like, it, that's really intriguing. I mean, there, there do seem to be taboos. Um, I mean, a, a lot of them across different cultures, mm. you know, um, certainly within, um, within Hindu culture, like there's a separate gat in Varanasi for those who died from a violent death you mm -hmm. know um, um <clears throat> yeah there's a special gat for kind of suicides murders or mm. people who died violently you know yeah. um and equally in egypt there's a, a a taboo around the spot where blood falls from a violent act or a or not necessarily one that's violent accident say as well mm -hmm. violent act and violent accidents that um from that blood um no good will come you know mm. kind of bring uh, attract gin to the area okay now we've gone from you've had a shaken bed frankly <laughs> terrifying house you grew up in um how did this interest kind of manifest for your teenagers um used to go very amateurishly by modern standards ghost hunting namely go to somewhere that was reportedly um haunted and just sit there uh wait to see if a ghost turned up um not a very scientific approach but it's what we did and we first did it in scarborough castle which is a there's a huge headland in scarborough with a forty. uh Norman fortifications there and there's a legend there that one of the prisoners who was once kept there um, will push anybody who tries to walk around the castle walls will try to push them off to their death so obviously we went on Halloween and 
walked around the castle walls waiting for I think it was Piers Gaveston, um, who's a sort of minor minor character in the medieval period, um, a king's favourite who fell from power, but he was imprisoned there for a time. Um, that we, we did that, um, just to just be fascinated by the places because on the Yorkshire Wolds, which is where I got my idea for the book Wolves, uh, the weird Wolves. Um, from there are a lot of old neolithic burial mounds which in later years had fairy legends associated with them and i say they're quite fascinating that some of them are huge but they've all been destroyed by treasure hunters over the years and um, i say it was and when i went off to leeds university um, I used to go ghost hunting there and we'd take ourselves off to churchyards and sites of hauntings to see if we could see anything. And we didn't, but <laughs> that's the way. I think that's probably a more likely experience than yeah. the television version where <laughs> they go into the house and within 15 minutes there's 19 varieties of spooches. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so, for, so from my notes, um, there's two references that I'm really interested in asking you about in this period. But mm -hmm. one was the keeping of Saint Mark's Vigil, and the yes. other is the Highgate Vampire. Could you right. talk about those? Yeah, the Saint Mark's Vigil, and it seems to be in England at least. Um, I can't talk for. a other countries but it seems to be mainly a north of England thing and uh, there are some quite detailed accounts of it taking place during the 17th century so you know we're not talking medieval a long long time ago we're talking relatively modern times when you know, there, there was greater literacy and lots of people who could write things down. And the idea was that on St. Mark's Eve, between around 11 and 1 in the morning, um, 11 at night and 1 o'clock in the morning, if you like, either side of the midnight hour, if you sat in the porch of a church on St. Mark's Eve, you would see the ghosts or shades, I suppose they'd be doppelgangers, of everyone who was going to be buried in the churchyard over the coming 12 months. And, um, you know, there are various counts of people saying, you know, I recognise old Farmer Giles and six months later he was dead and so on. And obviously the last thing you wanted to do was to see your own shade going in there, <laughs> a bit of a cramp on the party here. <laughs> Um, and there was also, you know, permutations that if you saw a shade go in and then it came back out again, this was someone who was going to be very, very ill, but would eventually recover. And um, we went to a churchyard in Leeds called St. Mark's. Um, and it was very old. It's one of those... There's a thing they have in um, the UK, they 
sometimes called them Waterloo churches, and they were a series of churches that were built during the aftermath of the Napoleonic Wars, as it was thought that if there were lots of churches, people would be Christian and wouldn't be revolutionary and wouldn't go the way of the wicked French. And so there were a lot of churches built around that time, the early 19th century, and this was one of those. But being in Leeds, which was a heavy industrial city in the 19th century, it was jet black from smog and soot and dripping in, I don't know, whatever old buildings drip with, and, you know, roosting place, place for crows and rooks, which always had a bit of atmosphere to somewhere. And we went there and we kept the vigil, but we saw nothing. But it was only afterwards, elementary schoolboy era, we realised that the church was no longer used for active burials. So there wouldn't have been anybody going in there. <laughs> it was a supply chain issue. Well, it was, exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Funnily uh, enough, Leeds, Leeds universities, part of the buildings are surrounding a graveyard. Um, and there's one hall of residence which is on cantilevers so it's sitting on the um graveyard wall and overhangs it both sides and um that's a particularly spooky place but um interestingly i've now forgotten his name one of the characters the beatles used to sing about um he had a circus um it's in For the Benefit of Mr. Kite, that was it. And it's a reference to that. And the circus owner who's mentioned in that song is actually buried in that churchyard. It's one of the few tombs that have been preserved. And he was an equestrian. He used to do horse stunts. And interestingly, he was, I think he was of Indian origin, as in... Oh. Hindu Indian origin mm -hmm. and came over and um, you know is notable you know for one of the not only being an early circus owner but um, a circus owner of colour right. um, uh, so uh, there but anyway we did that and we did other exciting things we went off to a, an old stately home where <laughs> there's supposedly a ghost walks there of one of the few people in English history to have suffered the fate of being pressed to death. This was a thing where if you refused to give a plea in a trial, either guilty or not guilty, um, the court could order that you be crushed with large stones until you either did confess and give a plea or you died and um, he chose to say nothing and died. Um, the same thing happened to Giles Corey who was one of the people accused in the uh, Salem witch trials. He mm. went the same way and for the same reason that if you were found guilty of certain offences your property would be confiscated and your family would then be made homeless. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you didn't give a plea, uh, 
because in a lot of these cases, it was fairly obvious that even if you said not guilty, you'd still be found guilty and your property mm. would be confiscated. Certainly in the case of Giles Corrie and in the case of the um, one near Leeds, um, because he had in, I think, right. uh, committed murder in a sort of, um, had a mental breakdown and murdered two of his children. Um, but if you didn't plea, then um, your property couldn't be confiscated. So they you know, nobly went away. There's a lovely tale from the 19th century because his house was later turned into a school mm -hmm. and a bunch of naughty schoolboys tried to raise his spirit by um, putting their caps and gowns in a large pile and then dancing round, calling him to come out. Um, and supposedly he did do, and the kids ran away. And when they came back the next day, all their caps and gowns had vanished. <laughs> Real sort of boy's own adventure. <laughs> Fantastic. And and tell me about the, the Highgate vampire. Right. Well, this is a tale people either know or don't know, but back in about the first part of the 1970s there were reports of in of highgate cemetery and there's two parts of highgate cemetery there's one part which is open to the public as uh, where karl marx is buried and then yeah. there's another part that is um generally closed off because the tombs are in a lot more derelict state. Right. And they've got a lot of those um, mausoleums that the Victorians were fond of. They sort of cut into the stone and multiple burials and things of that nature. Very, very spooky. And as I say, lots of trees growing up through graves, a bit like you were talking about mm -hmm. with the um, yew tree. Same sort of thing. Everything, nature's overtaken it. And there were reports of a vampire being seen there and of attacking people. And it's, it's muddied because two individuals involved in it very much made it a cause celeb for them and to push their own little agendas. And one of them's now dead, but the other one is still going. And you know, it's slightly sad that 50 years later, they're still sort of going on their 15 minutes of fame of the Highgate vampire. But it spread, the story spread, and um, there were a couple of mass vampire hunts when sort of hundreds of people clambered over the gates and ran amok basically through um, Highgate Cemetery at midnight looking for vampires. And it did result in vandalism and tombs being broken open and things of that nature. Mm. Uh, I mean, I went there when I'd just moved down to London and I went with a friend of mine and we we're both members of the ghost club that uh, exists in London. And we found a tomb that had recently been broken open and there was the sort of semi-mummified body in there and it had quite clearly had a stake driven through its heart and been set on fire. Wow. And I say it was just waiting there hmm. um and i say there what there was a lot there, there, there's sort of a possibility there may well have been people who were practicing dark magic doing yeah. it as uh, over and above the sort of 
thrill-seeking vampire hunters, if mm -hmm. you like. And I think the two, yeah. the two um, coincided. Yeah, no, I, I can I can imagine. I mean, certainly, magicians of a certain description do have a fondness for um, at least the the soil from from grave sites, let alone kind of um, bones and yeah. what have you. Um, you've you've just sparked my memory that it actually wasn't Kylemore Abbey where the tree going through the grave was, but it's Ballantober Abbey. Um, that's the one with the it, it, it never closed during the penal laws. Um, just oh, just to go just to go yeah. back to the Highgate vampire, it it does live on in history because um, one of the last great Hammer horror movies that featured um, Christopher Lee as um, Dracula and uh, Peter Cushing as Van Helsing, although in this case it was Van Helsing's grandson, called um, Dracula AD 1972, mm -hmm. is based on that incident. And it's wow. a bunch of swinging 60s cookie kids and <laughs> dolly girls yeah. who say, let's raise a vampire. And it <laughs> they do, <laughs> with unfortunate consequences for all concerned. <laughs> I love Hammer Horror. It was just, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you're bringing back fond memories of of um, yep. some of those films. Um, <clears throat> now you mentioned um, a um, the the walls. Uh, yes. Um, so the are, are the walls like um, they are they kind of burrows? Is that is that what what they are? No, no. Um, the walls... landscape. It's it's a particular landscape. It's um, lime limestone, oh. and it tends to have a steep side at one end, and then a gentle drop down at the other. Mm -hmm. And um, you know you can see the limestone most spectacularly on the Yorkshire Walls with um, Flamborough Head, which sticks out way into the sea and is a great white headland um but on the wall on the walls it was a um very popular um location in neolithic times and there were lots and lots there were hundreds of barrows there were the big ones mm -hmm. but there were also a lot of very small ones okay and i mean it's one of the greatest um groupings of barrows in the country though mm -hmm. most of them have sadly been lost by you know two thousand four thousand years of plowing sure, sure. Being yeah reduced uh but that 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 is the nature of the, the mm -hmm. walls and one of the features of the walls and certainly the yorkshire walls is you get odd water situations because being limestone, it acts as an aquifer and the water goes through it yeah. into sort of underground caves. But occasionally, if you've had a lot of heavy rain, it will burst back through. And there's a uh, river that runs through that area called the Gypsy Race. And it's gypsy relating to gypsum, I think. Right. Limestone. And it's known as the Waters of Woe because they nothing happens for years and then suddenly there will be a rushing torrent and there's been occasions where 
you know, mm-hmm. just swept in from nowhere and swept away buildings, and right. drowned people and everything else. But um, it's since developed a legend that whenever there's a big event in English history, the Armada, start of World War One, you know, start of World War Two, somebody's assassination, etc., that the waters flow, which is why they've picked right. up this name, the waters of woe. But again, they've they've had that name since the 12th century, you know, so it's been mm. going on best part of a thousand years that people wow. have mm-hmm. this thing about it. I expect no doubt they'll be saying that, you know, the waters flowed when COVID started. And I imagine so. When we, when yeah. we voted for Brexit. Which... <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about the Wolds and the yeah. River of Woe. Um, and kind of pulling that thread a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about the, the, the Wold-Newton Triangle? And a little yes. bit more about the lee lines and the the ritual landscapes, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it was again sort of. I used to, I grew up in that area, and as a kid, we'd get I'd get taken out by my parents in the car on a Sunday in winter, and we'd travel around there to various stately homes and things, and historical sites. And I suppose what triggered my interest was we went past an old, would have been a coaching inn at one point. And it's an odd place that even to this day, it's never a commercial success. Whoever owns it, they always give up after two or three years and it's back on the market and being resold and always has this derelict, woebegone look to it. And we were going past it, and my mother just happened to say, you know, back in the war, this is the Second World War we're talking about, she said um, people who in the women who were in the um, Royal uh, Transport Service, whatever whatever it was called, it was um, a service that women in the military did during the war where they could drive trucks around and do you know non-frontline services um driving around at night they were given special dispensation not to go past this property because it had such a reputation for for being haunted and such an evil reputation and they were allowed to go the long way around which would have been as you know a 20 mile detour on other roads what struck me was you know this was the middle of a war there was petrol rationing um things were desperate yet there was clearly something that worried people sufficiently that they said yeah you don't have to go past there there's there's something wrong with that property and it was sort of little things like that that you start following up one lead then you follow up another lead and um I began to realize that there was sort of this area was an epicenter of weirdness, you know, odd things that happened that shouldn't happen or just strange elements. And when I looked at it a bit more clearly, I could see that actually was a triangle formed by a road cutting down through the middle of it and the coast jutting out to either side of a large headland and all the weird activity took place within this area and 
obviously if you're writing a book um have to be commercial and think of a title and you know something mysterious triangle always is a better <laughs> sounding title than yeah yeah it's gonna work it's gonna work better and and you know lots of people have now picked it up and sort of write about the world newton triangle so i'm pleased about that world newton is right in the middle of the triangle which makes sense mm -hmm. and um is was famous again one of these weird things um in the last years of the 18th century what was the biggest meteorite ever to have crashed into england yeah. crashed into england one sunday afternoon there most of wow. us didn't go into the into the sea but this was a huge one and it's still in the science museum in london um and uh you know it it, it in the um the, the early, you know, the late years of the ninth, the eighteenth century, it was a tourist attraction. The person whose land it fell on took it down to. He's one of these hunting and shooting squires of the sort that are around mm -hmm. that that era. Era, uh, he took it down there and had it on display um, in um, somewhere on Piccadilly in the centre of London and charged right. people, you know, threatens a time to go and look at it. So you know, it was a big thing and. The fiction writer, Philip Jose Farmer, um, he, when he, he, one of his sidelines was writing fictional biographies, well, writing realistic sounding biographies of fictional characters. So he wrote a biography of um, Tarzan. You know, not just Tarzan's story, but yeah. assuming Tarzan was a real person. And he came up with this theory that there were two coachloads of gentry going through the Yorkshire Wolds when the meteorite came down, and the radiation from it gave them superhuman powers. And one of them went on to be you know, the, the Tarzan family. Um, Sherlock Holmes's ancestors were in there, and he built up this huge Woe Newton family wow. of people who were there. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. got Mr. Darcy from uh, Jane Austen in there, <laughs> Scarlet Pimpernel's in there, and they're all there. And you know, the yeah. coachman, one of them's a villain who later becomes, uh, you know, uh, um, Moriarty. His family become Moriarty, and so on. Yeah. And so, so uh, you know it. I, you know, just one of those things you think, well, this is an obscure place because it's totally rural. It's one of those parts of the world where there were probably more people living there when there was extensive farming 200 years ago than there are today. Yeah. And there's all this weird stuff there. And I say, that's World Newton. And there's, there's a place called Rudston, and that has this enormous neolithic monolith in the churchyard and very much a case of the christians jumping on the bandwagon as they did in those days in, yeah. in, you know sort of early days they would appropriate a pagan site and say you know uh god now lives in the church but you've always come to this site to pray uh we now call our god god as opposed to odin or whatever mm -hmm. and 
it, you know, it, it's, it's very incongruous. It's right next to the church. And the excavations have shown, shown that in its heyday, when the stone would have been first put there, it would have been taller by a big degree than any of the stones at Stonehenge. And it's just this huge monolith. It's not from local stone. It would have had to have been dragged 20 or 30 miles um, uphill and down dale to be there. And, you know, go, going back to Neolithic times, it would have been this enormous whitish looking stone standing out right. there in the middle. And in, in, it would have been a, a focal point. And I say, then you had, it was an area where lots of people chose to be buried in that era. Mm -hmm. There are various wood henges that have been found and various things called curses, which are earthworks, which appear to only have a symbolic function because mm -hmm. they're not defensive and lots of arrowheads have been found in them. And it's thought it was maybe some kind of area where rites of passage were conducted on young men and, you know, they'd compete in sport and so on. Okay. Uh, uh, so, and I say, it was just this centre for so much weird goings on for thousands of years. How intriguing. That's, it's, uh, it's remarkable that that's, you know, so concentrated in, in, in an area that mm. you would, you would, not suspect at all yeah and now taking a, a slightly different turn you've got an association with werewolves i is, have indeed which is quite an unusual association to have <laughs> <laughs> could you explain yourself charles <laughs> <laughs> well again this goes back to the world newton triangle because at the top end of it, actually in the Vale of Pickering, we've gone down the big hill, um, there has been for a long time a rumour that there used to be werewolf activity there. There was historically definitely wolf activity there, and the wolves would come off the walls in winter, which would have been bleak and snowy, down into the valley. Um, and attack people. And it was so bad that in long ago as the 10th century, somebody left money to build a hospice for travelers. Um, and the sort of the charter says, so that they won't be eaten by wolves at night. The idea is if you're traveling along this road um, and because the valley was marshy, you, you would be limited on where you would go. And um, the, the, the road late leads to the uh, town of York and they built this hostel there and the site is still existent so now it's a peculiarly it's a caravan site but um, it's was there for a long time and after a couple of hundred years a legend grew up that it wasn't just wolves but there was actually some kind of warlock or shapeshifter who could change himself. And he would be a man by day and he would go around the markets and the towns and see who was 
travellers who were new in the area and who would be heading home along this road at night. And then during the night, he would transform into wolf and lead a wolf pack to attack people and say there's lots of uh, tales of, of it. And the wolf was known as Old Stinker because it had a putrid breath because it ate carrion, as wolves do. And it had bright red eyes and it walked on its hind legs and it had a powerful tail that could knock people over. And uh, I say it was this malevolent force. Um, it sort of faded away in historical terms, but there were reports of people being in carriages being attacked by wolves in the sort of 18th century. And when I was a kid growing up there in the sort of 1950s, there was a claim that a lorry driver had um, thought he'd seen some <coughs> cars, rear lights in the road, um, shining in the road ahead of him, and then realized it was actually the red eyes of this huge wolf-like creature that jumped up at his lorry and smashed his um, window off. And so, you know, the, the legend of Old Stinker the Werewolf um, ran over for the better part of a thousand years. And I say it's intriguing because werewolves aren't a natural feature of um, English folklore. You know, they're, they're to be found elsewhere in multiple um, cultures and on multiple continents. But they're a bit rare in England and in sort of, if you like, in recent times, as in the, um, well, in historical times, as opposed to, you know, more recent internet times, um, Old Stinker is one of the few werewolves uh, to have a reputation. And I say, then it popped up again in about 1915, sorry, 2015, 2016 in the town of Hull, and there were reports of a large wolf-like creature um, wandering around and chasing people and attacking other animals. And uh, that's where I got my association with it because I was contacted by a newspaper and they said, they said, uh, there's tales of a wolf. Do you know anything about it? And I rather jokingly said, it's obviously Old Stinker who's come back from the undead. And so Old Stinker, the werewolf of Hull, um, sprang to life and was a three-month wonder. <laughs> and uh, I spent a lot of time talking to people from all over the world um, and being interviewed about the tales. And it was cause of great fascination in Hull. Um, I think somebody even did a put together a, a rock musical about it. And then it faded away as things do. How remarkable. Uh, old Stinker got his um his time in the in the limelight. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Intriguing. I love mm. it. And and <clears throat> Getting into kind of a little bit more, or, or I mean, staying with the canine 
the broad canine family mm. um and kind of moving into your work with the the black shock um the the black dog this is an area that i'm mm-hmm. really really keen to, to get your thoughts on and and hear what you, your uh, um assessment of it is and indeed kind of the the, the local folklore and history in, in in the area that um you you do your your predominant body of your work um the the black dog the black shuck um turns up again and again in uh british and irish particularly fairy folklore um it turns up with uh gin in middle eastern and indian folklore the black dog is associated specifically mm. with gin um and um yeah i'm just really interested to hear your your take and your view of it yeah well i mean as you say it's hugely prevalent in the uk mainly on the i suppose on the east coast um of england um all the way from the kent marshes up through essex and up through east anglia where i now live and on on up into um yorkshire um there is one suggestion that perhaps it may be connected with the Vikings because they um, these were the areas they raided and occupied, and black dogs and black large wolves feature um, heavily in Viking folklore and mythology. Um, Woden, I think, has Thor has. Woden has um, a large black wolf that accompanies him on his travels and things, and there is there is that suggestion, but um, you know with black shuck and the name is not just limited to where I am down here, but variations of that name um, are all over the place, and it's 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 an intriguing one. Um, because as with the supposed werewolf that was in Hull, is it a supernatural creature or are they feral creatures um, running wild, uh, you know, dogs that have um, uh, turned feral and are scavenging? Um, or is it just uh, imagination and folklore that's you know spreading the stories? Um, you know the the, the 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 part of the world where I am, it's flat. There's a lot of water around there. You get mists. You get marshes. There's a whole raft of folklore about sprites and willow the wisps that lead people astray across the marshes and things all across the east of England and it's certainly an area where you could imagine that if you were walking home late at night and you saw some uh, perfectly innocent black dog lunging past you'd think it was spooky um so you know it's it's 
there's that element of it. The actual black shuck of legend, which is the town of Bungie it's uh, related to, which is about three miles from where I'm sitting now. This, its claim to, big claim to fame was that during the middle of the 17th century, it, in the middle of the thunderstorm, it crashed into the local church and ran backwards and forwards, killing people before rushing off and miraculously turning up 20 miles away at another church where it did the same thing, running backwards and forwards, killing people and um, caused such havoc that the spire of the church fell down. Um, now, you know, that then was reported in a sort of chapbook um, equivalent of a Facebook posting, I suppose it would be, but a, seven, uh, a 16th century version of it printed called a, a Strange Wonder. And it was all about Black Shuck. That was this huge, almost the size of a pony, shaggy, dog-like creature that spread death and destruction wherever it went. Uh, you know, was it a hellhound? Was it satanic? We're talking about the... Um, mid 16th century when people uh, certainly believed Satan and demons were real things, or was it a natural phenomenon, or was it as seems most likely in the case of Bungie's Black Shuck, was it a misinterpretation of something? Um, because there was a thunderstorm taking place in Bungie, there was a thunderstorm taking place um, at the other site where it struck. And from the accounts, one of the people who was killed sounds, the description of his wounds sounds like somebody who'd been struck by lightning. It was also notable that the church tower was hit and the clock shattered and the mechanical parts came spiraling down. And it may well be that people in the clock tower fell down. Um, because it was a thunderstorm, there were a lot of people in the church because church had a um, stone or lead roof. And at that time, most people lived in thatched cottages and thatched cottages aren't safe places to be when there's a thunderstorm. So a lot of people taking shelter there. They were worried by the storm. And, you know, was it even some form of ball lightning that went down the aisle that hit the church and headed down the aisle and um, caused the effect? Whatever the explanation was, it set the legend that Black Shuck was this demonic hound that um, ran amok this particular day. And since then, the legend has continued and that, you know, there are still sightings of it. Because we get to the interesting thing that in the 20th century, there were more sightings of black shuck than there were during the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. 
And you do wonder whether this was a case of whereas normally you'd say, there's a big black dog over there, um, I'll avoid it. Um, as the legend spread with literacy and obviously later with the internet, it's been a case of there's a big black dog over there, that must be black shuck. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's exaggerated, if you like, the, the legend as it's gone. Uh, that's a fantastic background. Um, I had no idea that it was associated with that particular with that particular storm. Um, we're 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 moving into the section now where we kind of close out the uh, the regular show and mm -hmm. go into what we call the plus show for my uh, my patron supporters. So as we navigate uh, Zoom's new pricing model. Um, <laughs> I've been delighted to discover mid recording. Charles, it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you. You know, I've I've really enjoyed um the the time has, has flown by. Um and you you really are a, a wealth of of fantastic stories and um I really enjoyed um the last 2 hours. Um uh, I was going to say well, it's been yeah. been a pleasure talking yeah. to you. And no, thoroughly enjoyed my time. For for anybody who wants to find out more about your work, where's the best place for them to do so? The best place is my website, which is www.urbanfantasist.com. And that's got links to all my books and everything else. You can find all my links and everything mm -hmm. else there. And Wonderful. anything I'm doing, any activities mm -hmm. I'm up to. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And I'll make sure those links are in the show notes. Um, so thank you very much for your time. And equally, thank you for your patience with um, the, the technology. Yes. You made the joke at the beginning, yeah. don't work with yeah. children, animals and technology. Yes, indeed. Lo and behold. Yeah, for, for those of you listening now, um, unfortunately, I hadn't heard about the change in uh, Zoom's T's and C's to reducing it to 40 minutes, uh, 40 minutes ago, which uh, Charles has been very patient with my... Um, <laughs> remarkable level of, of professionalism so um, <laughs> thank you again for your time Charles it's been a real pleasure and you Thank you, Charles. I hope you guys all enjoyed that. I certainly did. Uh, it was a, a really, really lovely conversation. I, I just, I love folklore so much. It um, constantly captivates me. Right, I'm going to wrap it up there. If you want to find out more about Charles, then check the show notes. You know what to do. I'm Dara Mason, and you've been listening to The Spirit Box. Take care, and talk soon.